Well, uh, welcome to Duma Opti- the, this Duma Optimism podcast. Um, I'm Jim Jones, and I'm here today with uh, Nathan Gates and Brendan Bernard. Um, we will, uh, we, and we're going to talk about narratives and storytelling. And we we don't really know; we've never met before, so we're just going to see how this conversation goes. It will be a narrative that that you can be sure. Um, so we'll 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 see how it goes. Um, so I'm I'm just going to start off. I wonder if um if I could pass to one of you two to start the ball rolling in terms of an introduction about yourself um and why you're here today. How about Nathan? Can I start you start off with you? Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm Nate, and um, yeah, happy to be um jumping into this. I'm kind of curious to to see where it goes. I remember in the initial conversation, it was just sort of like a real general idea about narrative and you know I kind of um I spend a lot of my time swimming in those waters as a you know my my full-time occupation is psychotherapist and is seeing the way that um people's lives uh are shaped by the stories that they tell themselves about the world and about themselves and how durable those stories are over time and uh, you know how so much of behavior is um seems to be about conforming to um and, and behaving coherently with um the stories that we tell ourselves about the world about ourselves so it just piqued my interest and i thought it'd be a fun uh conversation to jump in on and and then um you know at the moment um you know we're having this conversation i've just kind of also been on a um four or five day Twitter bender about ideology, which I do every few months. And so it might be fun too to contrast, you know, narrative with, you know, ideology and what's similar and what's different. Um and um, you know, and how those how those ideas interact. Um if I mean if we get to that, I'm I'm open um uh, just to see where we go. That sounds great. Yeah, all of those things uh, appeal to me. Um Brendan, how about you? What brings you here? Uh, yeah, um, very similar. Honestly, I'm I'm really curious to see. Um, I think there's probably a lot of overlap between our perspectives on this, and I think that's interesting given that we've um, pretty much all probably independently come to some of these conclusions, um, and I think that's going to be really fun to feel out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, from my perspective. Um, I mean, we've all we've all got stories about why we're here today, and I think that's that's worth saying up front, isn't it? To to start off, you know, it it, it sounds really basic, but narrative is is a personal um, dialogue. It's a description mm-hmm. of your journey to where you are today. Um, so, from my perspective, you know, I'm a as you can probably tell by the accent, you know, I'm 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 an Englishman living in Canada. Um, which probably isn't that unusual, I, I guess. Um, I'm an ecologist by by background. Um, I, I worked in wildlife conservation in the UK for a wildlife trust for about 15 years before I, I came over here. Um, and I was I was invited to come over by a University of Waterloo professor to teach hedge laying, and and that itself is a story, really. But uh, which maybe I'll I'll introduce at other times. But um, you know, I've I've been interested in narratives um since my time at the at waterloo at uh the wildlife trust 
um partly because um the the work that i did there was involved with you know the conservation of endangered species and endangered landscapes um but what i found was that more important to my work was actually the the, the conversations and the the narratives if you like about that people had about their connection to the landscape about their connection to nature um and i could be talking to people about the importance of biodiversity or the importance of um you know preserving ecosystem services uh using using the buzzword of the day um and you know a small portion of the audience would get me and quite a lot of them wouldn't and you know it, it seemed to me that um rather than bringing my own narrative to the table it was important to understand where everyone else was in the first instance you know what what was um what was their narrative so um yeah so that's that's where i i sort of begun my narrative journey if you like and since then i've been exploring more about narratives and especially their kind of their use as a as, as a tool for social <laughs> transition and and community community enhancement and um you know, I've loved I've loved um, being associated with Doomer Optimism as well. There are some fantastic podcasts, uh, which uh, you know are out there, full of really, really, really interesting narratives um, going forward. So, so I thought we'd we'd maybe start really by by just you know having an un getting an understanding of what you know getting on the same page about about narratives. I mean. Nate, you've already suggested that you have a, a an understanding, a kind of interpretation of what narratives are. Um, did, do you want to comment a bit more about that? Sure. I mean, it's a really pretty. I mean, that's a it's a pretty broad, you know, just a pretty general statement that you know the the they're um, kind of uh, constructed. Um, their story, you know, narrative is, is, you know, constructed through experience, uh, it's also socially constructed through interaction, um, through the culture that one's embedded in, um, you know, and, and all kinds of the, you know, all those sort of mediating uh, factors, you know, you might have that narrative um, influenced by your physical environment, but it's, the, it, it comes out as the story that you tell yourself and other people. I mean, there actually is probably slightly different. There's different stories, right? There's the story you tell yourself about yourself, and there's the story you might tell other people about yourself, and then there's the story you tell yourself about the world, um, the story you adopt about how the world is, about your place in it. Like, this is how we, I mean, it's how we talk to each other and how we talk to ourselves, you know, in story, in this sort of like, uh, um, you know, um, sort of like chronologically flowing um way of describing our world um and that's sort of how we make sense of things at a base level i think yeah i would i would definitely agree there i tend to split it up into a couple of different um like time scales um so i tend to think of narrative of the present as our just sense making faculty um what's happening right now <clears throat> and that obviously has some filters um, on it. And then from there, it kind of folds into our 
like main, I would say narrative ability, which is what does that thing that's happening mean? Um, what is that present part of? Um, and then there's, you know, the side of it that's just lying, uh, which is, <laughs> um, you know, what are we pretending to ourselves that that means um, either on a conscious or an unconscious level? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, yeah, one of my one of my favorite um, quotes is by um, the philosopher Alistair McIntyre, um, and he, he his quote: "What am I to do?" Uh, you can only answer that by saying, "What story or stories do I find myself a part of?" And I think that that quote really encapsulates for me the the whole idea that you know we are we are the sum of of the stories that that exist around us um and i i you know i think i've i've tried to i've been doing a lot of reading for um the this phd i'm doing on on uh on sustainability and i'm looking at sort of narratives and, and their importance in um in sustainability transitions and it really it really has been underlined to me that that the fact that you know narratives uh are a way of exploring our world um, because we don't really understand we we can't really we can't really um, understand our world without without narratives because you know we that you know that there's a material world that we perceive but we don't know the truth about that material world we only know what our perceptions tell us about that world so in one instance you know our our in one instance, like picking up a screwdriver or an axe or something like that, you know, our perception mediates a certain awareness about that tool, and it's and it's um, in the immediate sense. So, but we also, like you were saying, Nathan, we we were always sorry, um, yeah, we we were we all also have this kind of larger scale experience of um uh, meaning behind that perception so this there's there's this kind of um you know culture and society and individual and it, it, uh, societies and individuals create cultures which mediate a, a, a large uh, background of meaning onto that sensory experience so there's this kind of tension and dialogue between what we're doing in the moment um and also what what uh what has brought us to that moment as well i think okay oops <laughs> something happened to the internet um and so we are back uh it's my internet unfortunately we are back and um yeah continuing the conversation i was in i was uh you know you know bringing up the idea of truth too and how yeah. um often rigidly you know like stories um you know, our own stories, we cling to them so much as though, as though like there's this, um, a literal truth to, to it. <clears throat> and, um, which can be a very prob, which can be very problematic because, you know, stories are representations, right. And, and, um, uh, when we, um, put too much, uh, of the weight of truth on it, it, it just really can cause us to not adapt very well to our life, to, 
other people uh, for society to adapt you know it really makes um i guess insensitive to the context in which one sits when somebody holds too too tightly to the literal truth of a of a story and and, and it can't be um adapted to um you know changing conditions yeah absolutely um because i mean it's part of the 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 understanding the structure of of a story and where it's come from that it's a, a representational artifact of of reality it's not reality itself in fact you know it's arguable and philosophers have has have argued that we we can't know that we don't know the real world we only know um our knowledge of the real world so um narratives are a way of 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 um navigating our way through a collected collected and shared truths yeah there's that whole like sensory layer of reality that we're accessing through um just electrical impulses in our body and then that's kind of what i refer to as the sense making side um and that is probably the closest thing that we can all guarantee that we share and then we build our narratives on top of that that filter it again um and then there's also an interplay there where you start to get into some of the like cognitive behavioral side where what we think about actually affects how much of our reality we can see um and that's pretty fascinating to me yeah so if we think about like um if we tie this to, you know, directly and just kind of like to Doomer Optimism, right? This Doomer mm -hmm. Optimism podcast, we're all interested in that. And so there's a particular story that a lot of us who have been drawn to that, um, you know, it's not a, uh, you know, maybe a super specific one, um, but a general story of um, some vague sense of collapse for some more specific than others, but like there's like, problems either you know ecological cultural whatever some big sense of of that and then a turn in the story from you know um from doom from pure doom to uh, um to sort of like changing writing different stories of, of adaptation and of um you know engagement in a different way and you know kind of the human capacity for for change and adaptation as opposed to um just this uh either nothing's happening stick our heads in the sand or um uh basically somebody needs to fix something pretty quick you know somebody else needs to fix something invent something make something different because we're you know we're all just out of luck here mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean this is i'm, I'm glad you, you steered us towards that um really that that kind of understanding of how narratives fit up with um doomer optimism because you know i it's it's really been on my mind quite a lot um how narratives really help help us what you know i've been i've been tweeting about narratives and the importance of narratives you know with the doomer optimism hashtag for a while now and i i just i expect a lot of people are going so because i think you know one of the really interesting things about the podcasts that have been coming out is that there's so many different approaches to this kind of collapse um, and recovery um, narrative, which which it, which is what it what it is in in reality. You know, we haven't come to a collapse. We just have this narrative that we are um, approaching 
a collapse. And, um, you know, the uh, uh, Rupert Reed, who's um, a professor over in, in the U in um, England, and he's uh, he's been one of the um, Extinction Rebellion, you know, scientific advisors to Extinction Rebellion. He's got this kind of three uh, narratives about collapse, really, um, and he calls it like dodo, um, butterfly, phoenix. The idea that okay, in a in a dodo future, we're going to have a collapse, and then nothing. <laughs> there's there's, there's there's going to be no impetus to reorganize or you know perhaps even the uh the human race is going to is is going to completely <laughs> disappear um you have the after that the phoenix so we are going to go through this collapse and then um and and but then we you know we're birthed into a new future perhaps looking the same or perhaps being slightly different but then i guess the butterfly scenario is the one that we all hope for to a certain extent is that we don't go through this collapse we we are going to transform ourselves through um various uh um, um well through various means into into a new society um and what that may look like you know you can you can listen to any of the doomer optimism podcasts and get different kind of ideas um, being channeled through mm. through different people mm. i was particularly mm. interested in one recently which was the um you know eco-socialism versus um the, the, the kind of um diffuse capitalism represented by regenerative finance and to some extent they seem like opposite yeah. narratives so yeah i i wonder what you guys think about the the uh how these kind of different ideas might operate in terms of in terms of narratives going forward yeah that's i mean that's, those are interesting frames yeah. um <clears throat> i appreciate that there's more than two um because that seems <laughs> to be a problem right now of yeah. uh, an either or situation um for most uh, narrative constructions. Um, yeah, I think that's interesting. I mean, you're right. Like every, every single person who's part of this rough constellation, um, has taken a different path. Um, and I think that definitely informs the vision, um, of what they're doing and what they're part of. Um, I think it's interesting that we all managed to cohere, uh, at least approximately, um despite clear differences uh when you get down to the really 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 um fine detail level of what people are preparing for what they hope comes after um i would expect to see more division um and i think it's really pretty cool that there hasn't been um like an actively schismatic vibe um yeah yeah but i mean that that could definitely possibly could possibly happen you know um because people are opposed um in 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 uh in their way that they look at the world and i think perhaps something that you mentioned earlier on nate nate as about ideology and how that relates to to narratives is 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 really important so for me um 
one of the things that I'm interested in narratives, you, you can look at narratives in, in different ways. So, but I, I see a division in, in the literature that, that I'm reviewing, that there's a kind of, there's a hermeneutic uh, tradition, which is looking at texts and working out what the narratives are and feeding that back into, you know, the study of, of, of texts and books and literature, things written down and, and feeding that back into, into uh, changes in, in society. But there's also this kind of um, ongoing dialogue, which is something that I'm much more interested in because my background, as I said before, comes from that kind of uh, active participation where you're getting people around a table, you're having a dialogue and they are, they are exposing their narratives to each other. And in that moment, you know, things, things change. So it's, that to me is a kind of collective sense making going on right there. Um, but then ideology is much more of a kind of um, intractable, uh, um, established narrative that that um, needs to be needs to be challenged to a certain extent and and doesn't. It's it's in the realm of ideas rather than the realm of active. Um, ongoing dialogue, if you like, would, right? Would you, much would you, more, yeah, much more static. Yeah, um, I think if I was going to boil down how I see it, I would say you have the you have the sense making side, which is what's currently happening. You have the narrative side, which is what does that mean, and then you have the ideological side, which is what should that mean? What should be happening? Um, and it's a much more uh, directed um, narrative. Uh, because it's goal oriented, I would say, um, at least typically, um, people who adhere to ideologies tend to feel strongly that something should be happening that isn't. Um, and I think so then we have that, that's another layer on top of the, the, the two other narrative layers. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes it more, uh, static, right. Is that it's, there's what you're thinking about, there's how you're thinking it, and then there's what you think you think you should be thinking. And you like the more you stack those meta layers, um, the more friction there is between any given set of layers, I feel like. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I certainly, I certainly try to view this as well through the lens of, um, you know, systems and and complexity thinking, um, in the sense of, um, what do we understand by by systems and complexity thinking? You know, it's, it's an understanding that, you know, when when agents of some some sort get together, um, they are they have relationships with each other and. Um, you know that, that they relate to each other and that uh the system that is that, that arises from that is very difficult to especially when there are lots and lots of different parts it's very difficult to track through time and to a certain extent the other reason i'm interested in narratives is because ideology seems to me a, a very uh structural and imposed um framework in head for whereas you know narrative is an ongoing a, a, an ongoing and organic readjustment to how the 
to the conditions that exist at any one time. So it's much more um, open to adapt adaptation and and, and change um, in the moment. However, it's a yeah, it's a sorry. relationship. Yeah, I mean, it, it's all about it's it's yeah. it's all it, it's created in relationship and it changes in relationship and it's the you know it's like that game of a uh, telephone right if you go around a circle and you have a short story it, you know it changes with every interaction it, it you know it adapts to the you know, the person telling it and the person hearing it so that it it is um you know it maintains I think you know it's funny because you say you know it doesn't maintain fidelity to the original story very well mm. um but but perhaps it maintains more fidelity to the individual humans who are you know interacting with it mm. um you know so when a story can change based on um you know based on the 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 conditions of the person telling it um yeah. and um i think that's what i enjoy so much about interacting um just to kind of my personal process interacting in the duber optimism space and why i kind of do go on these sort of like ideological anti-ideological crusades now and again um because there's a there's just a rigidity in there and that that rigidity does create schisms that's where schisms come from that that's where splitting comes from that's where you know that 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 that's what wrecks things is because um and i you know i i feel it first in myself because when i when i come into contact with an ideology it's like oh you're telling me what my experience is you're telling me how i'm supposed to see the world and i have an instinctive like fuck you get that away from me i don't want like like yeah. no go away um so and as opposed to hearing a story um which is sort of an invitation to participate in that story and to be curious about that story and i think at its best you you, you know you play with stories and you co-create them and and so there's there's so much generativity um in the process of uh, uh and it can be very intentional i'm not saying that there there can't be intention put behind it uh, when you're you know you're everyone's trying to create the story you have your vision you want to share it you want to make it so someone else can understand it but then you're compelled to craft it in such a way that it can be understood you're crafting your story in a way that people can hear it and they give you permission to um, to be a part of their storytelling and narrative create, creation, as opposed to, I'm telling you, this is how it is, and you need to agree with me, which is the most boring form of communication in the world. Yeah, it's it's absolutely true, isn't it? Just like, so I mean, this this leads to to something that's really that I, I find another sort of. Uh, researcher or philosopher that's been involved in um, creating uh, the narrative paradigm which is which is Walter Fisher and um, you know he 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 said that um, for a person to accept uh, a story into their own milieu of stories that the story has to have kind of uh, plausibility so it's 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 mm. got to be something that that sounds plausible you know uh, so, so that's one one test, but it's also got to be coherent, and by by that, coherence is is coherence to your own um, constellation of stories. And I love that word constellation as well, the constellation of stories, because that that to me is 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 what surrounds us. So you know, if if you are in a dialogue with someone, um, rather than kind of 
if you want to take them with you rather than presenting your own story uh as you see it you you have to have a relationship with the other person in the room to understand their constellation of stories and how your story would fit in with theirs um and that's that that to me is the is the is the most organic and kind of pleasing um way of of how narratives can work um is this kind of mutual sharing of store of stories and there's a certain tenderness to it as well i i have to say this kind of you know oh you know understanding somebody and th the, their narrative constellation um and trying to take them with you on yours but at that very moment where you share your stories your both both of your st stories have changed haven't they because now you have you have opened yourself up to the to another person's stories in order for them to hear yours and i, I really love that that kind of um that dance if you like so there's something very um there's something for, about that exchange that that really appeals to me and, and that, that i try and think more about when i when i think about these the the, the dynamics of this Be because for me what what i'm trying to get at when i think about social change and social uh um transition for sustainability is understanding this process because i think it's really important but that also feeds back to the to the idea that this this isn't going to happen quickly <laughs> yeah yeah 100% i honestly think that that's a huge piece of why um this loose do sphere uh has occurred on twitter right like we have 140 280 yeah. character chunks of self narrative that trickle out honestly over the course of what like the last 2 years uh that the group has sort of roughly cohered a couple thousand accounts um that is almost <laughs> um the perfect definition of emergence right um like you have these slow subtle interactions chunks of story people build better and better models of each other over time um sometimes people overshare and a big chunk of their self-narrative suddenly becomes clear um but it's not this one info dump that borders on that like pure ideological imposition of frame um it's been a much more emergent conversation um and i think that honestly that presents its own uh issues right because if this is a good example of how you keep a bunch of different ideologies roughly cohered um if we're all expecting some form of collapse calamity um massive inflection then that would be an argument that we can't stay cohered quickly mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's like herding cats. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. Or yeah. Or trying to keep leaves 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 in a pile on a windy day, something like that. Um Yeah, and I mean that's and that's a perfect example too, is right. Yeah. Like there's that occasional dispersion, um, as maybe not like pure schism, but um people just realize that their values don't align enough and they stop talking, um, but they're still roughly aligned with other members of the sphere that maybe they do. So there's like these um, 
communication layers through other people um, where we like launder our various ideologies uh, closer and closer and closer to our more distant <laughs> semi-adversaries. Um, and I think that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, and and also what 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 Nate was saying earlier about play, I think this is this is also a playful arena, and I think I think that's important. You know, um, there's a an author called Brian Boyd who explores the um, the, the evolution of of narratives, and you know I like his framing of the of the idea that you know narrative storytelling emerged from you know originally um, our ancestors were were communicated through through copying each other you know they if they wanted to um if if they wanted to transfer knowledge from one person to another the other person would copy them um until they they developed you know the ability to make noises and sounds um and uh although if you if you like the uh the singing neanderthal hypothesis hypothesis you know we developed song before we developed actual you know sounds and put together and made made words with them but it was really important to narratives developed in that kind of social um pro-social uh coming together where people were trading skills so they were trading facts but there was also room there's also gap in those in that trading of facts and in terms of skills to be creative to be innovative and the person and the you know the individuals that that from a from an evolutionary sense the individuals that were best at kind of being creative uh and maybe telling a story in some way or you know that that conferred them with a with a selective advantage going forward so play has always been part of these kind of narrative and um learning and innovative innovation circles so i think you know that duma optimism that we can play in these kind of ideas and ideological spaces and, and disrupt and break apart ideologies and put, push them together again is, is really quite interesting. The one this week um, that when they were talking about anarchy, don't know if you guys uh, heard that one, which is really interesting because I, you know, I, I guess I'm like a lot of other Luddites that just think anarchy is no government at all um, until that podcast. And then I was realizing that, you know, anarchy shares a lot with, things that i hold dear which is about localism and um uh, um you know um networked networked kind of participatory governance and yeah. redundancy so yeah so i think play play is really important going forward but so play is, is really important but you know how how do we think that narrative could be useful in terms of these and an attention on narrative could be useful in terms of um in terms of advancing if you like duma optimism as a as a i mean duma optimism isn't really a it's it's just an umbrella but how, how could narrative be important in transitioning because this is the, the the thing that i'm in, in, interested i guess how could discussions and, and personal narratives be important in in transitioning from what we have now until into something new do you guys have any thoughts on that um well first i'd say i love like this the idea 
of um, the, the phrase you said that I just thought, oh, that's neat. Uh, the gap between facts, just just that little phrase right there makes my imagination <laughs> sort of light up a little bit. The gap between facts. But um, to answer your question, I think that um, stories ultimately we don't have, in my view, right, we don't have sort of like a useful cultural story that you know, moves us in a way that can help us meet the challenges that are in front of us. Like, the, you know, like it's a cacophony of differing at odds stories that are in conflict with one another um, and that sort of negate each other and create, you know, just gridlock and conflict and um, nothing good. Um, it's sort of, I, I mean, I'm kind of a, yeah, Doomer in the sense that I think we're kind of collectively, culturally in a pretty bad spot right now. Um, you know, that's why sort of, you know, we homeschool our kids. And I mean, why we're doing what we're doing, look around, I'm like, you know, these things are not great. Um, and I think a huge part of that is when we have, we don't understand each other's stories very well at all. Um you know, and, and and I think if you don't understand the story of someone whom you would presume to want to influence, you have no chance <laughs> at all. Um, if you don't understand what story, like really understand what story they're operating from. And if and in order to do that, I would add, in order to really understand someone else's story, you have to respect it. Yeah, you don't have to agree with it, but you have you have to respect it. You know, if you're just going in to try to understand someone's story so you can undo it, you'll never understand their story, right? Because you're constantly looking at it from your point of view and constantly trying to deconstruct it and constantly trying to undermine it. So you have to have respect for someone else's story mm -hmm. and to understand it. And you have to understand it to influence it, right? And so this is tricky here because if you're just going in with this real manipulative attitude, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to be real, real friendly and, and, and get this person to tell me their story and I'm going to trick them into believing something different um that that's not going to work so there's this like I, I believe genuineness or authenticity that's required you you go in um and 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 you um to really understand someone else's story there's this openness that, that has to happen and that openness means that oh I have my uh ability to to have my story changed or rewritten a little bit as well if I'm open to really understanding your story um and I think it's in that process of being open to one another's story, telling each other uh, how we see things, remaining open to the perspective of that, um, that the opportunity to have other stories begin to cohere together that aren't the same. My, my story my story isn't the same as what it used to be. Um, yours might not be the same as what it used to be when there's uh, you know, a real sense um, of openness. And, and I think that openness is cultivated by uh, respect. It's cultivated by uh, by by playfulness when you're playing with someone you're open to their perspective you kind of like you know you develop kind of warm feelings and and it's and you become more curious you know curiosity is where stories have have a real opportunity to change you know because then you're open you want to learn like huh what's that um and that openness creates an a place for new information in, and it's when we really can let new information in well then we have to adapt if this is a truly new fact to me, yeah. I have to adapt my story apparatus to accommodate this new fact, right? 
change. Change just happened because I had to, like, because I was open to it and I allowed this fact in, I had to adapt in some way. Um, maybe it's just a small way or maybe sometimes it's a bigger way. Um, so I think in this, it, again, it's it's relationship, it's interaction, it's openness and curiosity, I think allows for um, narratives to be able to slowly um, uh, change. That's a really, that's a really good description, I think. And um, I, I, I love the, the idea of going into a, a, a relationship, going into hearing somebody's story with a really open and accepting uh, mind. Um, and it, it goes back to the idea as well of, um, as Fisher's, of Fisher's tests that, you know, that person um, that you shouldn't you shouldn't necessarily seek to influence another person's story um but of course people do but um if if your if your story is um plausible and coherent to that other person somewhere in there they can see oh yeah you know this story this narrative holds something for them because if it doesn't, they're just it's it just won't land, it won't grow. Um, mm -hmm. So it's got to, in that respect, hold something for them. So um, you've you've got to, when you engage with narratives on any level, you've got to trust that process to a certain extent. You've got to trust the the, the process and have faith in it that that a good story, a good narrative will 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 find fertile ground and, and be lifted up but it's not a you know it's not a fast process um and this is this is the problem uh or or, or it is what we perceive the problem because at the moment we are we're living under this this the shadow of collapse and the shadow of of the doom um so perhaps <clears throat> taking ourselves out of the doom the shadow of that doom of that urgency and um and then just trusting that you know good stories find their way uh to <laughs> to fruition in some way or another um but also the idea that that narratives are changing all the time i mean we this this, this is another kind of narrative or an archetype if you like uh to to coin another term uh, an interesting term the archetype is that is that once we've a kind of utopian archetype you know that once we've built it it will remain in place forever and the other kind of thing to to sort of wrap in and adapt to to narratives is the idea that narratives are constantly changing constantly updating and actually constantly recycling so <clears throat> you know one of I mean, the things the ideal <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> i mean in the ideal yeah um and I think that's one of the terms that gets bandied about online right now is that NPC. Um, and I think that's uh, deeply unfair to a lot of people, but I do think that that points at that sort of rigidity of self-narrative. Um, they've, there are people who have adopted the character and the archetype is set um, and it's stopped updating. Um and I think that's one of those things that we can point at as being a challenging thing to overcome. Um, I think a, a lot of people have um, 
stopped granting the validity of other people's narratives. Um, and I think that's that's when that NPC gets thrown about as just a like, I am contracting you down to the smallest set of your beliefs that I disagree most strongly with um, as a way to dismiss you. Uh, but I I also think that it is a real phenomenon, which is where we wind up getting into trouble, right? <clears throat> well, I wish that what I wish that could people could understand um, who are stuck in that is how um, how just conflict laden and ultimately boring it is to see the world that way it's just so much more fun to, to to be playful it's just so much more fun to be open to other ideas uh, and this doesn't mean that you can't have conviction and you can't have and you can't you know really um um you have conviction in your own stories and in your own experience, but it does mean that like, if you just feel so defensive as if you have to defend it at all costs, all of the time, right. it's exhausting and so boring. It's just right. like, this is it. This is all there ever will be. And I have to defend it. I just, it's not a very fun way to live in my experience. Right. It's a fundamental insecurity in that narrative. And I think, again, that's where we get into this uh, static ideology that replaces self-narrative um that's fundamentally it's static it's brittle and there's an insecurity underneath it because it's mm. only at best partially authentic to the person um it's a mask right like there's something that they put on that lets them fit in that works for now and then it becomes rigid and it's scary to remove it and it's scary to question it and then nobody in that interaction is capable of transcending that dynamic in a lot of cases. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, like, what is it that, um, like, what is that an insecurity? I'm sure it's probably different for everyone. I'm just like, what? What is that? What? What's underneath that insecurity? What's underneath that fear that that that, that you know is is held so rigidly that I can't adapt? I can't be open to another idea. Like, what's at stake? I mean, I think on on some level, it's just at least personally speaking, it's hard to construct a meaningful self narrative. Um, at least. In this day and age, for me, I can say that that was a, a long process of introspection and challenge and iteration. Um, I can't speak to whether that's always been hard. I imagine it has. Um, but uh, I I would say a, a big piece of that for a lot of people, I would imagine, is that it's just a really challenging thing. Um, and we take shortcuts in that process. And that's where those ideologies and Aragors start to plug in, um, is that we... We have these insecurities, we have these uh, unmet needs to belong, and then there's something that offers us a shortcut or um, the appearance of the thing that we desire, and we can wear it for a little while, and then it starts to just sink into us, right? I bet it has been. I bet it is harder. I, I don't know. This is idle speculation, of course, <laughs> but I bet it is harder today. I, I can imagine, you know, if you, um, I can imagine a time of like, uh, say, more intact community, basically, like, 
you you know who you are because you're have that reflected back to you so often by so many different people in such a consistent way. Um, you know who you are socially, you know who you are in relation to your environment, in relation to the work and the tasks that you do. Um, that it isn't that you don't like you don't have to work so damn hard to construct a story to make sense of the world around you that competes with other stories, that right. rises above the din of all the other stories that you mentioned belonging. Uh, you don't have to construct a story so that you can belong to a particular tribe. You know, you just adopt the story that is handed to you by a tribe or a community or people that you know and trust. And you don't have to, you, you get to be a part of it, right? Your interaction, the data that is collected by you interacting with your world, you know, becomes a part of your community story and a part of the story that your community tells, but it is a already coherent story as opposed to, I think today, it's just, I got to, yeah, create this entire mythology around my life to make sense of anything. Right. You know, so, um, I, I think that's I so spot on. Joke sometimes. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, I think that's so spot on. I I, I absolutely agree. I was think, thinking along the same lines myself, this kind of, yeah, ever, we have to construct ourselves out, out from the, from the ground in this kind of, um, <laughs> individualistic society where everything everything is 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 open it's kind of postmodernism, really isn't it that that idea that that all meaning is is um uh, intangible and and open for for constant renegotiation whereas if you're in a tribal setting or if you're in a strongly religious setting as people were before you know the industrial revolution um and in smaller scale societies, uh, I think this is really important that you didn't have to mm-hmm. continually reconstruct yourself. It's I think tiring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's honestly part of where my optimism comes in, though, yeah. is that like you, you know, you look at those those past societies, and there's also a fundamental brittleness to those narratives. There's a massive shadow there of the person who is unseen by the social narrative, the part of you that cannot find expression. Um, and we have this massive potential, I think, now to, um, like I, I think I was saying when we first discussed having this podcast, um, we have this opportunity to create massively more granular self-narratives and identities and pastiche these archetypes together into something that's much more authentic to the person as opposed to the character that you're playing within the society. Um, And I think, you know, this is probably the most woo thing that I will say, but I think that kind of semantic manipulation of reality um, found its expression in the past as a form of magic. That's what shamans did. That's what priests did is that they manipulated the narrative of the people around them and themselves. Um, And I think we at least have the potential to all now tap into that because our our social fabric is just completely destroyed, right? <laughs> you, you, we've leveled so many of those, um, I don't know, erasing unifiers um, that now there's this opportunity um, that is massively hard work. Obviously, it's a challenging thing um, to step up and be like, yeah, okay, we're all shamans now. We all construct narrative um, playfully and magically um, and manipulate reality. Cool, that's easy. Um, but I do think that there's a really interesting potential there. 
Yeah, that's yeah, so if anything, sorry. you're creating a uh, you're you're creating a, a context for that to occur, right? It's not so much that you then it's like, no, we're not focused on what the story is. We're focused on creating a sort of a social context in which that narrative can be created. Yeah. Yeah, and for me that that links back to to the kind of narrative definitions. So so narrative is both a verb and a noun. So a narrative is a thing, but it's also a verb. It's a process. It's a doing and constructing uh, uh, um, yeah process as you go along. So and I think what we're talking about here is is undermining that kind of narrative as a um, as a noun as an I when it conforms to ideology and much more kind of linking with narrative as a verb as a kind of tool to construct our uh social realities going forward you know it's it's the underlying tool for constructing our social realities really um going forward but i i would i would challenge to a certain reach out and challenge to a certain extent that idea that we can and should create narratives of our own you know individual choosing i think the one really interesting thing uh about narratives of the past is this kind of um you know co the collective narrative that was there that you were born into and there's a real tension here isn't there between narratives of the past um or of this of this collective narrative that that, that you didn't have any choice over versus the kind of more individualistic approach that we have now where you can where you can sort of weave any narrative or any idea into your kind of personal constellation of narratives you can become whatever narratives you you should wish and i wonder and and i don't know the full answer to this but you know in my own um in my own interrogation of of what it means to live a good life or and what it means to to be sustainable is this idea of you know sustainability is all about limits limits to growth or or it should you know it should be at its at its foundation you know we need to limit um some of the our impacts upon upon the uh, upon the environment and upon um society and in order to do that that kind of large-scale narratives of 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 uh, meta narrative or grand narrative has to be scaled down towards our own lives. So you know, is part of the dialogue in Doomer Optimism about at limits on our own choices, our, at the own narratives that we necessarily live by. But that might you know that might scale up as a kind of huge diversity because narratives are going to be. Uh, locally very diverse it's you know you're not going to have one narrative or a, or a solution um because that's that's kind of other interpretation of narratives i think it's a kind of solution space for a way of living and, and interpreting the world but are we you know we're going to have a huge diversity but each of us isn't going to have necessarily a, a diversity of choices we will we have to limit the narratives that we attest to i guess you know i i'd reference i'm going to reference the um i don't know the the doomer optimism spiritual grandfather here um wendell berry <laughs> <laughs> we had um, to get him in <laughs> and 
yeah, it's not hard for me to it usually. Um, but, um, you know, uh, because to me, you know, what we're talking about in a way is, is, is community, which is what he writes about. And, uh, and there's this balance between, you know, the limits imposed by a community, you know, like that sense of you getting that story. This is who I am. This is how it's reflected back to me. And, you know, that is, uh, I think, actually pretty liberating because, like, like I referenced, you don't have to have this burden of creating, you know, your entire personal self mythology, you know, um, but it, it is limiting as well. And I think, you know, Brendan, as you as you pointed out, um, you know, there are these shadow aspects or these aspects that don't fit, um, and you know, and what happens there. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of his, uh, I'm thinking of a particular story um, that. Um, he wrote in Port William because I love all his Port William stories. But he talks about one of my favorite characters is um, Burley Coulter, who is described, you know, at some points as wayward. Right? He doesn't quite fit and doesn't quite play by the normal social uh, mores of the of the town of the of Port William. You know, in his story of of, of making, you know, you know, more of a meaning making process for him outside of the community, but also then finding a way to integrate that and to still be a member of that community. So seeing how, uh, you know, a healthy community has to both have its story and its way of um, telling its story about itself to itself, right? Mm -hmm. But also then accommodating individual people who don't just, you know, you know who, who like some, sometimes, you know, that doesn't make much of a ripple, but some people just they they just for whatever reason need to make a very big splash and um need to to have uh like they don't fit and how does that become accommodated um in the story of of, of the place in the story of a people um there so there's this really just talking about this tension between um um group solidarity and individual um you know individuality Yeah, and that's a uh, that's a really nice, um, really nice tale, and I I love your your um your interpretation of that, and um, you know, it it makes me think about something that um, I I it was a, a study um that was done on um uh the details are sketchy in my head at the moment, but it was a study done in North America on uh on on communities and their political views, um. And you you see people coming out, you know, right and left. If you ask them what their what their political uh, what what they voted for in the last um, in the last uh, election, and they'll come out right or left, um, and there's certainly certainly a division there. But then if you actually ask them questions about you know helping people in society, or you know helping your neighbour, or um, you know what what does it mean to be a good what does it mean to live the good life or you know just just these really kind of basic narratives about how they live their life those divisions start to disappear a little quite a lot you know people actually act very similarly um when they're when they're when you look at their behaviors rather than their kind of the the ideological way that they would vote and i th i think that's that's reflected in your story there because I think when a community pulls together or comes together, um, narr narratives of acceptance um, emerge within those those societies, which um, which if you look to that society overall, you could probably kind of 
um you wouldn't you, you wouldn't necessarily think that 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 would happen so people make individual accommodations or even group accommodations for people that that are seen as as outsiders um but you wouldn't necessarily expect that expect that from a kind of overall snapshot so that kind of ongoing narrative is really important for for describing the behavior of a group of people yeah i mean i think under under healthy circumstances the the community obviously finds a way to um uh resolve that tension um in favor of not stagnating right um but i definitely think if you if you look at the past there are a lot of societies that have failed to do Mm -hmm. that um and i think that's one of the things that i think i'm pointing out when i say like i see a lot of this fracturing as a, a, a fulfillment um but we also see a lot of people um falling short of that um because it is hard um and I don't know. I just I I push back against the idea that um, societies find a way to accommodate their own outliers. Um, there's a lot of uh, instances of that not being the case. And so you know, there's there's the Boo Radleys and <laughs> all of these stories that we have about the the people who are just then overlapped enough to be tolerated. And then there's all of the people that there are no stories about because they were othered completely um, and never found integration. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. It's like, can the, can the, uh, you know, that person's story be accommodated and in some places maybe you know maybe that that the story is one that's so powerful and um and and, and carries benefits and, and it actually manages to change the story the, the grander narrative of the entire community um, but maybe some right. stories don't fit at all and i i mean i think then we're talking about like madness um mm-hmm. or we're talking about you know just um you know, then repression of certain ideas um you know, uh, like then, yeah, it is like, that's the, that's the margins. That's the, you know, we can't integrate this. Um, there's something, um, uh, mad or morally wrong or bad about, about, you know, this particular story that we can't find a place for. Yeah. And I, you know, it is, I guess it is the darker side of, of narratives in that, in that some of them can be, you know, particularly dark and, and, and nasty and, and and also focused on othering other peoples or ideas to the detriment of of a large number of people and i think i think that, you know this tension between sort of localism and globalism as well um you know we tend to want to So, so you know, the idea of of universal human rights, for instance, as a as a as a narrative or as a thing that's a really very very desirable um, across the spectrum, and you know, how do we how do we keep managing that kind of expectation of of society on a much smaller local level? 
you know, because if we allow, for instance, um, communities to develop their own, if we allow, <laughs> um, if communities develop their own uh, narratives about social organization and who they accept within a community and who they don't, then, you know, it's going to, without some kind of central overarching control or control of that narrative, then um, that that could be quite problematic. Um, uh, but on the other hand, that's just presuming that that overarching narrative is is going to be a good one, <laughs> you know, when it's something like, you know, Nazism or, or, or um, you know, something like that, that's controlling the story, controlling the narrative, it can be, you know, well, we know the consequences of that. So it can be it can be a really difficult um space to play in in, in that respect um yeah i mean in, in a lot of ways it's a, it's it's um boy this is the question this is where the rubber hits the road with mm. localism it's like are you a localist or mm. are you a universalist that wants you know localism for your stuff but not for other people's stuff <laughs> yeah. it's where that's where that's where it gets really hard yeah um yeah and and i think you have to where i am more and more landing is you just have to allow as much even if you don't agree with it as much local custom to develop as possible and i think within um very i mean as broad of parameters as possible i mean you know, public and mm. ensure freedom of mobility maybe i don't know this yeah. is it's, it's a very hard problem i think that the tricky thing is just you know if you <laughs> if you sample human society um over 10 15,000 years right like all of these ways of being human have worked in some location for some set of people over some number of generations that's been a valid solution um and i think it's really hard to provide space for that tension of like you know i think whales are probably really really smart but also i think that um making sure nobody knows how to hunt whales with bone harpoons is a bad idea because at some point in some place that has been a crucial way to know how to be a human and survive um and so we have that tension of um not uh eradicating uh ways of being that are valid um despite the fact that they feel like they might not be valid right now um with the understanding that at some point they might be again we might want people who know how to um harvest blubber from a creature that might be pretty darn sentient um yeah i don't know isn't this where there's this story this and this is a um and this is a trope isn't it in all kinds of uh um you know fantasy and science fiction and, and just stories generally it's like um we can call it the control story um and man that is a you're the ring of power story right like it's right yeah. there it's like i yo boy i want my story to be the story yeah I want my story to be the story and I right. want to enforce that story um, on everyone else because it's the right story. 
and it's sort of like this 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 dark narrative um of um it's an i i mean it's yeah i think we're we're back to talking about ideology really but it's mm. it's very potent it's hard to say nope no uh, that's not i'm not in control of that and um but that that i mean we oh, we love the control story so much <laughs> i live you know here in west central illinois and I mean, you drive around in the, in in the summertime, and it's just amazing. The, the the agriculture is just it's it's just a, a monument to human control. I mean, mm. everything perfect rows, perfect rows as far as the eye can see. No weeds, one species. Um, it's just a monument to control. You know, mm. control of the environment. Um, you know, control of you know, you know it's harvested at one. Like it's just control. And man, that's a story that we are infatuated with. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it, it it sure is. It it sure is. And you know, um, one of the biggest uh, meta narratives, grand narratives that we have is is this story of of control over nature from that for me stems, you know, from and 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 also control over over story, control over thing. Create, creating a an image of the world that is only about facts you know that has been um the dialogue the narrative since since the enlightenment you know the enlightenment was a was an ushering off of you know religious constraints on you know about the world you know we know that the world is you know created by god you know it's it op operates on this hierarchy of of uh god and then you know lord and then you know lord of the manor and then peasant at the bottom yeah you know, with the bishops in there so that's that's your position and the enlightenment was a was a response to that in terms of you know trying to break up or or, or trying to to base uh, an understanding of what the world is much more on observable facts and so since the enlightenment we've got further and further down this this um this reductionist approach to the world to the point now that that you know everything about in the west anyway in the or, or the global north everything is about reduction and siloing and nar and and narratives of of um of data driven understanding and mm -hmm. we've lost that connection to this to story and to the to and uh, to a more holistic vision of the world and one of the things that I, I I feel about story is that it's it's a although it still uses words and narratives which in in themselves are kind of reductionist to a certain extent to a certain um, extent um, stories give a snapshot of the whole in a much better way than than data points on a graph. So you know there's 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 a lot of work that's being done out there um on narratives as a way of kind of understanding complexity and understanding that the kind of holism um if you like the whole picture through through narratives and i think that regaining this this balance uh of you know wanting to control things by by understanding it through through reduction 
and letting things go and and having a trust that there is a, a you know your narrative fits into the wider um the wider unification the wider holism of 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 the earth and, and what's going on with it is is certainly something that i think human beings have to find a a, a narrative about if you like and i think you know, you said, you know we can learn from indigenous you people said, um you said trust i just sorry I, you know you said trust and, and the yeah. whole time that you were talking before that i was just thinking that this control mindset was just i'm like it's just this form of faithlessness yeah um yeah utter faithlessness yeah Yeah, you know, I, I talk about this stuff, and it makes me feel I'm I'm, I'm not um, just <laughs> I'm not personally I don't belong to a particular religion, but I talk about this stuff, and, and it always points me into um, feeling very religious, and <laughs> it's kind of a personal nightmare for me to be honest with you. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's a, it's something I get um I get I get very stuck on that hump. <laughs> well, you know, it 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 can be it can be difficult. I know a lot of people at the moment who are difficult. It's not difficult. It's just a different approach to the world, you know. And I know I know a number of people uh who are who are converting to Christianity. Um people that I never thought I'd see converting like um uh Paul Kingsnorth and um mm -hmm. is that the other mythologist guy um his name escapes me at the moment um but but yeah that that sense of that sense of trust that uh or, or faith perhaps in in this kind of holistic picture and i think that's where um that's where we're that reductionist reductionism is almost like a a a, a fear a fear-based you know, we don't we don't really understand the world, so we have to take it apart in order to know it. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. But now, now we have to be engaged in in putting it together. And I do, uh, you know, I do think think narratives and storytelling have a have a really important part to play in that because it's like, you know, even when you go back to to Plato, Plato and 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 the, you know, his his focus on on logos and you know logic. In, ex in the expense of mythos or storytelling and poetry you know we've been on that that kind of line for maybe two thousand years now and it's really important to turn back and have a look at narrative as as a way of understanding and meeting the world um but it but yeah it's not think... without difficulties <laughs> yeah yeah do you think there's something about like I just think, you know, and I, and I think a lot of people uh, in, in the DO sphere um, may relate in some point because there's such a focus on growing things, growing food, um, you know, plants, animals, you know, growing life. Um, and the further you get from that, the, 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 and the more, you, the more easy it is to forget that, you know, like you put a seed in the ground and it's fucking miraculous that it comes up Um you know, and uh, just the, like the, the the way that life reproduces itself when you do it all the time and you just maintain, like, it's so fundamentally irreducible and magical and, and, and just sort of miraculous. At least I experience it that way all the time. 
that the further distance you get from that, the more you can feel like you have to do it yourself. You have to control it. You have, or or it can be done. It, it can be controlled instead of like just this. I mean, I use this this term. You know, I say magical. Just only in a, in a way to me, it just eludes me. <laughs> that's that's all. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I wonder if there's just something there. The further you get from that direct experience of of food of 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 of, of life reproducing itself and, and and being able to see it and experience it and, and trying to cultivate it, but also understanding really that it's um, you're not doing it. You're not putting the life in there. Yeah, you know, and I I think that is really important because um, that that physical embodiedness of that relationship with the earth um, has been vital for our narratives, for the structure of our narratives. And I think as we move away from that um, into more virtual spaces and more abstract spaces, it's going to affect the kinds of narratives that we we produce. Uh, and the conversations that that we that we have, so narratives are going to be the, the stories that we tell are going to be less um, concretely um, <laughs> um, built around kind of the physical structures that we have experience of every uh, have had experience of every day up to the point of. But now we can talk about you know our, our stories are full of avatars and uh, our narratives are full of avatars and virtual reality and gaming and the possibilities that are endless in that space um but that's that's just the realm of ideas it's not like mm. the physical realm as such so maybe one of the important things and this is certainly why i you know i i teach workshops on things like spoon carving and uh, scything and hedge laying and because I believe that in order to re in in order to readjust our narratives of of um, respect and connection to the earth, we need to re experience the earth and and have re 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 narify, if you like, um, the, yeah. the the our our connection to the to the earth. Um, so yeah, that that's that's really um, I said, uh, also to recomplexify, right? Like you have yeah. traditional farming uh, is a vastly simplified system um, that bears almost no relationship to nature as a whole. And then you have, we have this permaculture movement, which is um, replicating complexity and minutia. Um, and I think in some ways we're talking about exactly the same process for a narrative. We have these, small tribal hyper tailored narratives that have worked for Dunbar multiples uh, for a long, long time. Then we have this greater society that's a much more imposed, rigid, inflexible um, and static narrative of a people. Um, and now we're trying to do exactly the same thing. We're trying to bring complexity back to personal expression um, and what it means to be human. Oh, that's, I'm so glad you said that. That's, you know, it, it, it's funny. I, it, you move out. I mean, I had this experience 10 years ago. We moved back here 
Um, and, and there's this cliche of like, oh, you know, kind of re-embracing the simple life. And it's like, that's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, you must be like, so relaxed out here. No. <laughs> it's like, you have to learn how to do so many more things. <laughs> you have to be able to interact. Like it's, it, it, it's re-complexifying. It's not simplifying. That's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you're taking those, those complex relationships in and and you know and and instead of instead of outsourcing Wendell Berry talks about this and the unsettling of America you know a lot you know mm-hmm. about this you know recomplexifying I think I'm glad you brought that up that's um and it's so much more in touch with in touch with um that's why grounding as much as we can about our stories to go back to that initial um I think you said making um you know, you have the direct sensory at the beginning of the conversation, but you said the direct sensory experiencing and then the layer of sense making and then the ideological layer beyond that, you know, when the, and then the further you get away from direct experience, the more abstract and the more rigid, you know, these stories become because they're not tied directly to something actual anymore. They're just, right. they're more just ideas. every time you step out. <laughs> yes. And, um, and I think about that on, again. What I was saying earlier, you know, you think about that on the farm and how so many of our um, popular idioms, metaphors, ways of speaking are agricultural in nature. Um, and being on the farm and then seeing those things at, like firsthand—that's why people have always said that. Don't cry over spilled milk. You know, you always think of like a, you know, you always think of a kid spilling the cup, or at least I did. So, you know, fifteen years ago i thought about a kid spilling their milk don't cry spill milk and that's not what that means it means you get up at five in the morning and you're milking your cow and the cow kicks the bucket over and that sucks right and like you can feel that like it's a direct like that's what that means or or you know the 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 fact that like the the stereotypical name for a cow is often bossy and then you get to know a cow's personality and like that's why cows are called bossy i mean i have one our, our one of our best cows out there she's just a bossy animal she will yell in your face and tell you when it's time to feed her. She's cranky. It's like you're you're named bossy. I see that. Be and those those are stories that are resonant because they are anchored in the actual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean even even the uh, even the very words we use um, to describe meaning and meaning making or getting meaning are physical. You know, we talk about I cannot. I can't grasp that, you know, I, you know, I, I I want to be able to grasp an idea. So that's, you know, it's a physical manifestation uh, or or we're using words that we would use to describe physical actions um, when we're talking about ideas as well. So, you know, the way we think and the way we, we construct languages is very much predicated still in that kind of real physical space. So I think it's important to get back to that um, or at least to remind ourselves of that. You know, um, I'm just in the process at the moment of constructing a, a, a bid for, um, you know, a couple of courses at the University of Waterloo, which will do. Uh, so we'll do this basket weaving and spoon carving and things like that. So it's a kind of antidote, if you like, to while people are taking in all this information and becoming, you know, uh, expanding their cognitive awareness they're also expanding their embodied cognition by reminding themselves that their bodies think and act as well so it's simultaneously simultaneously grounding and dynamic 
Um, one of the things I think that's interesting to bear in mind too is that like this is this is one cycle of time, and what we have often seen is there's this period of recomplexifying, grounding, uh, introduction of dynamism that then becomes rigid once more, mm. um, right? So like one or two generations down the road, I think it's really helpful to remind ourselves that we're going to be having this exact conversation yes. where there is formerly dynamic people who have become conservative and static. And there's going to be people who are saying it's time to recomplexify. Um, yes. You don't understand the whole um yeah no ab absolutely I, I i totally agree with that and um i i'd have to get in something that jason's really jason snyder is really fond of which is the the kind of adaptive cycle and in, in resilience as well that idea that you know we're we're in a, a going up into the you know if you imagine an infinity figure we're, we're kind of in in going into that we are in that forward loop of of uh conservation and we, we we're going to drop out of it and things are going to break apart and we're going to be in a, this new back loop of creativity you know so we keep cycling around in these kind of um uh, adaptive cycles of of creation and destruction within our society and, and we'll 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 come back to this place again and again I, I i'm sure about that but it will be just subtly different because we're we're working with different you know seeds if you like of, mm -hmm. of construction um i'm conscious gentlemen of the uh of the time we've been at this for an hour and a half now how do, how do people feel um do 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 you think we're at a stage to sort of call it a day or you, you got any other burning things you want to discuss <laughs> I, I think we've covered quite a lot in this podcast i think we i think we i think we have another one productive ground yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's my intention as a, you know, a student of, uh, of this narrative approach to sort of have ongoing conversations with, with people. Um, and, you know, I'd love to come back and have another chat with you guys at some point, keep, keep the conversation flowing, maybe revisit some of these, uh, these things we've talked about when we've mulled them over a little bit more. Yeah, that, that sounds fun. I, I, um, I guess I'm just going to say the thoughts that to be reductionist that are reduced from this is, you know, the importance of being in relationship with the people we're interacting with um, playing and having fun and then getting your hands dirty in the real world. Like these are all things that if we're, if we're kind of, you know, looking to, to, to create um, and interact with each other's narratives in productive ways if we have this um, yeah if we have fun with it and I, I try to say that all the time on Twitter like hey you, this has got to yeah. be fun or what are we doing here like I'm not here to fight I'm not here to rat like that's you know so play have fun get your hands dirty in the real world and and treat interactions as relationships not transactions that's great yeah absolutely Nate you know I was gonna also sort of draw attention to that idea of of even before you engage in the narrative just step back and think about how you're going to engage and be kind and don't don't step in to expect to change someone's mind you know if your idea is good or if you're you know mm. if, if other if it's something that people can be receptive to and and it's a building block it will it will build you know you've got to trust the narrative process perhaps is, is what i'd say in in summary 
Any any nice. any thoughts from you, Brendan? Final. Uh, no, I mean, there's just there's a lot to think about in this conversation. I uh, <laughs> I honestly look forward to when the uh, recording drops so that I can uh, think about it <laughs> a little Reveal bit more. Said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, um, that's great. Well, thanks, thanks, guys. Really excellent conversation, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again uh, in the future. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Cheers for now. Have a good one, guys. Yeah.